Welcome to episode 112 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. As always, I'm joined by JP Breen and Ryan Top, and we have a special guest, uh, our our prop bet writer. What is Meister. it? Meister. The prop Meister. Prop bet Meister. Andy Schaff. I prefer Maestro. Maestro. <laughs> yeah. the, the Maestro. We do. We have to refer to him as the Maestro every time we talk to him. <laughs> Um, and also, you you have your uh, weekly uh, column for the Badgers. Uh, what is it? This Week in Badgers? Um, it was. I wasn't expecting to get to self-promote so early. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to. It's This Week in Badgers. You can follow it. Uh, my Twitter feed is AKSHAF. Uh, I'm sure these guys will link it. But yeah, follow it if you want to hear about my thoughts on the Badgers losing to Illinois. It's pretty great stuff. Now, will you have a lot of pictures of Paul Christ with oranges in this one or no pictures of Paul Christ with oranges because it was so disappointing? The problem is the Paul Christ and oranges photos. There's no like photos of him frowning next to the oranges. That would be the only way to do it. He's all smiles. So I don't know that we can really make this work. I was going to say, we'll what makes him sad? Um, I would assume losing to Illinois, but I don't know. Well, we know, or- we know like oranges a- and Mountain Dew make him happy. Yeah, exactly. So um, I didn't know if there was something on the flip side. That... Having to do the Zimbrick car commercials probably is the closest <laughs> thing that makes him sad. But, you know. Having to string two sentences together. Yeah, that too. Paragraphs. It is. It is tough. And that, yeah, that's not an enjoyable press conference. I didn't watch any of it because it was all terrible. Um, so hopefully this week in Badgers can lift my spirits for next week when they take on Ohio State. Yeah, there Ohio you go. State. Yeah. yeah, shock the world. Oh, yeah. They're screwed. So, uh, Okay. You can help fans find this podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter. JP is Ghost Runner on second base. Ryan is RD Top, and I am Steve Garshinsky. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast network, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and the reporting is eligible weekly Packers preview. So hopefully plenty of extra content if you want to support the podcast there. Um, I know Paul made the weekly preview free this week because he got it out a little late. So yep. anybody who's curious, if you follow the Reporting is Eligible podcast, it's there. Or you can go to our Patreon page. It's also available for anybody who goes to that spot as well. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English Hell Malt Bombs and Perfectly Balanced Hop Grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Uh, out now, I know that they have the Raspberry IPA. That's the one that I have currently in the refrigerator. Oh, that sounds good. So, I don't know that I've had that. Oh, yeah. I yes, think maybe at some ha- point. We've yeah. had it, but it's seasonal, so right. it hadn't been out for a while. So if you can go get that one. I think they have a few more out, but Ryan didn't update the read. Sorry. So I don't have specifics. Any uh, any other great beers? Andy, do you have some uh, beer at Carbon 4 that you enjoy? You want to plug? Yeah, my wife and I were there. Uh, I, don't know, I guess it's been about a month ago. She had a coffee stout and a coffee mug, which is really good. And then I had, I don't know the name of it. It was a Brute IPA. It's also very delicious. Oh, that's the Poppenhoff, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it was the Poppenhoff. It was really good. Yeah, I had that at the, the beer festival we went to, the Great Taste of the Midwest. I think I, I that may have sampled well. that at one point as well. So, yeah, <laughs> go to Carbon 4, go to the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard in Madison. Uh, try everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never had a bad one. Uh, what do they have? I mean, you can Uber or Lyft, but in Madison, you can also take a union cab too if you've been yep. there too long. So, uh, do that. Uh, 
stay as long as you want, order everything, try it. It's okay to stumble out of there at the end of the night. Um, and then also, don't forget that you can get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Okay, so as, as we, uh, we introduced Andy right off the bat in the podcast because we have our prop bets. Finally, we're going to do our prop bet episode uh, and reveal the results. Which oh, I think everybody the big reveal. Everybody was just jonesing for this. I know we keep getting hit up online for what are the results of the prop bets, right? Yeah, I've been getting hit up. I'm pretty excited to kind of unveil this. We waited a little bit after the season ended, um, but yeah, if you're ready, let's let's run through it. Um, first of all, thanks to everyone that entered. I had 198 entries, which is super impressive. Um, yeah, lots of people. We had some kind of not so good entries which we'll go over i'm not naming names but jp maybe one of them uh, and we have some, <laughs> some good entries as well um, Ryan and so Steve. let's go through we'll go through the winners we had a four-way tie uh for the win um these people all had 16 correct props um no particular order we had ryan and i'm gonna butcher the last name so sorry ryan but it's newen shander i believe uh we also had mike webster jim stolen and joe who goes by the Twitter handle janky underscore 11. Uh, and so we were just calling him janky Joe earlier. Janky Joe. Yeah, that works. So quick, quick, quick question before we get into this a little. So you said 16, correct? Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah. 16 out of how many? I knew you were going to ask me that and I don't have that number. <laughs> okay. So, so 16 out of uh, just a little bit more than 16. So that is a very good. Which we'll go over as well. It was like 20 something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, Janky Joe, uh, Jim Stolen, Mike Webster, and Ryan Neuenshander. Um, and then for us, do you want to go over, I, I guess, for our little podcast group, uh, how we all finished? Uh, there were 20 props, so 16 okay. out of 20, which was super impressive. Um, out of your little group here, we had uh, tied, for, tied for 25th, uh, Steve and Ryan, both entered we were both tied for 25th so congrats and that so was that, 13 correct right behind that um and i only got 12 correct um so i tied for 57th uh kind of holding up the rear there he was tied for 144th jp uh, got 144th so and then uh paul uh noonan was the best finisher of everybody kind of associated with the the podcast here he got fifth. yeah yeah exactly so, so he was just one off fifth the, or just the outside the top four so one off the win yeah okay so uh, yeah so congrats to paul congrats to you guys for trying um congrats <laughs> to myself for getting tied for 57th in my own competition but yeah <laughs> hey there was some weirdness this year so what are you gonna do yeah weren't you doing this very sleep deprived at the time like when the, when um, the props came yeah, out because you just so, had like oh, like a one yeah month. i'm yeah. trying <laughs> yeah we just had my uh, son emmett was born in february so these came out in march so I had some dumb props, um, had some good props. The dumbest prop of all was a Corey Ray home run prop. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. And it was immediately forgotten by mid April. So no, no, my no, bad no, on that no, one. that was not, I remembered that prop for the entire season. Every time that someone was called up and was not Corey Ray, I, I very much thought of Ryan. He, so he that's did why mention it too. And Trent Grisham started hitting homers. That's why I said Ryan. Ryan just <laughs> slyly said, "Oh no, I was talking about Trent Grisham the whole time. He's my actual Corey Ray." That's how that one works. It's my replacement Ray. Yeah. 
So all <laughs> so like the uh, the twenty seven props that I didn't get correct, those were all the dumb ones, right? Um, that was the main one, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the Corey Ray home run was kind of the dumb prop. I did have a good prop. Uh, this one I was kind of proud of, and I had some feedback from some people on Twitter that helped me come up with this, but it was Yelich OPS versus Arcia slugging. We kind of figured that Yelich's slugging would be in the 500s along with um, Arcia's OPS, but Yelich actually had a 671 slugging percentage, and Arcia had a 633 OPS, so the Yelich OPS won. That was a close one that came down to the wire. That was probably my best prop. So what we really um, know there is that you didn't know the ball was going to be juiced in 2019. Because otherwise, you would have moved I that didn't. line. Yeah, and that played into effect. We had um, the prop that the people did the best on. We we're very optimistic. I did an over-under on team home runs of 231, which would have been the team record. Uh, they ended with 250. So 79% of people got the over, but I don't think anybody thought it would be that over. I'm pretty sure I remember Steve uh, taking some liberty and going back and maybe, uh, I guess... Uh, reconceptualizing how he wanted to answer that after it was in the books. <laughs> yeah, you cheated. <laughs> you you entered not your right answer to that one. You went back and changed it after the fact when you entered your picks online. What, what I said on the podcast versus what I actually put yep, online. You cheated. So really, I was <laughs> I was ahead of you, and you were not tied with me in reality. So the I guy who finished 144th was... accusing the higher people of cheating. I just want to make sure we're on the same page yeah. here. I didn't well, know th this was like binding and we couldn't, <laughs> you know, adjust things. Let me, let me tell you something real quick. If I'm going to be down at the bottom, I'm dragging everyone down. <laughs> <laughs> um, some props are very funny uh, in retrospect. Um, one that the most people got wrong. We had a, I had a prop that was who's going to start more games at first base. Hey, Jesus Aguilar or the rest of the team. And we had 89% said Aguilar and that, that did not happen. So that one was one that the most people got wrong. Well, um, another, that, was, that was such an odd situation because I don't yeah. think anybody thought Aguilar's bottom would fall out as it did because even in Tampa Bay where he hit a little bit better, the power never really came back for him. No. And in yeah. a year when the power was, all anybody, you know, all over baseball, everybody was hitting for power. And the fact that all of a sudden it disappeared for him was weird. Like that just mm -hmm. wasn't expected. Well, and I had I had like the really good intellectual capacity to talk all winter about the fact that like Jesus Aguilar was maybe not the guy that we were expecting and then to pick him to be like my home run leader. It was really it was really solid for my capacity to handle <laughs> that's well. Hey, I mean, you could have picked Travis Shaw like me. So I picked, I, I picked Moustakis, which yeah, you weren't too far. Off. I was close. Yeah, he was as, number two on the as team, right? close as it was going to be, considering Yelich is like Barry Bonds. So yeah, I, might, I could have picked uh, Orlando Arcia and performed better. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the who's going to lead the team in home runs. Um, you mentioned Travis Shaw. I guess if you guys had to guess, how many, what percentage of uh, podcast listeners picked Travis Shaw to lead the team in home runs this year? Forty. Oh, I was just say at least a quarter. I was just say at least a quarter. Yeah. 41%. So 41% of podcast yeah. listeners thought Travis freaking Shaw was going to lead the team in home runs. I mean, that's, that's where our heads were at. And I mean, it was a fine answer, but that's where we were at in March. He had been what 60 something home runs over the previous two seasons. Like it wasn't a crazy answer. And it looked like in spring training that he was going to mash. Like it seemed for all the world, like that was going to happen. And then the regular season started, he got off to a bad start and it just never, he never got it going. Well, and that's why, you know, there was the prop about, you know, home runs 
combined between Mustakas and Shaw. And I'm like, I, I think you had it set at 60. 60, 59, yeah. That like seemed that. like a no-brainer. Shaw had, had consistently hit 30-plus, and Mustakas, especially playing in Miller Park, I mean, it just seemed like, yeah, they'll hit 60. That shouldn't be that well, that big of a I was hurdle. Say, and to be, to be fair, I was giving you shit about changing your answer, but you went back and actually like adjusted it because you were essentially like, I picked that they were both going to hit over 30 and then decided that they weren't going to like get over the record for home runs, which you're like is a really stupid bet. Yeah, and yeah. There was, there was some inconsistency with what I picked, which is why I think I, I went and switched it. So Don't give him that bailout, JP. That's not... It's not no. a bailout. It's yeah. just looking at it and going, wow, that's a really dumb thing to say while you're recording live on, on this. So That's you know, okay. Yeah. I had... Uh, so on quizzes about the prop bet, I'm uh, one up on everyone. So There you go. <laughs> prop bet on the prop bets. Um, one other one that everyone got wrong was we had a prop that was like, um, sorry, Jake Krumro just scored a touchdown for the Packers. <laughs> you, you can feel it. It reverberated um, throughout Wisconsin when that happened. Well, like, how can I concentrate with Jake Krumro diving for the end zone? Um, anyway, hold on, we hold had on. A prop I got to go was... change into my whitewater uh, sweatshirt right now. <laughs> yep. He sure did. All right, let's focus here. Um, <laughs> I had a prop. It was kind of like more more starts, the young guys, uh, which was at the time Burns, Woodruff, or Peralta, or the old guys, which at the time was Nelson, Davies, and Anderson. 86% of people went with the young guys, and I think Peralta was off starting by the end of April, Burns mid-April, and Woodruff kind of came through, but he got hurt. So I think Davies alone beat everybody with that stat. So. Say, which is crazy because – you know, quote unquote, the old guys, Nelson was in that group, right? Yeah. And he obviously didn't give them much yeah. anything. So it was the fact that like the old group lost one of the three guys and basically performed no starts the entire year. And still the young guys weren't able to overcome it. Yeah. Well, and how much did the Woodruff, what, what was the total on that? Because how much did the Woodruff injury affect it? It still didn't affect that much. Davies and Anderson alone. I think okay. they have like 65 starts. Or well, and Anderson like got a lot more starts than I think we yeah. ever would have imagined. So that that was probably the biggest difference there. Because um, if you said two of the young guys were going to flame out. Well, I don't think we thought that two of the young guys were going to flame out. But there's no one who thought that Chase Anderson was going to make as many starts as he did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. though, at the time we did this, Anderson was doing fine in spring training. It he did start the season out of the rotation, but was quickly back into it. But he seemed mm. like he was way down the list. It was going to take a lot for him to get the number of starts he ended up getting. Yeah. Well, and I, and I never, I never would have guessed that uh, that Corbin Burns would have been as bad as he was this year. No like, one would have. You, prior to, yeah, I was like, prior to the year, if you would have told me that he was so bad that he pitched himself out of the rotation and then basically was just in AAA the entire year versus like the likelihood of Chase Anderson going like 30 some starts I would have I would have I would have said that like there's no way that Corbin Burns is that bad. Yeah. yeah. No one I don't think anybody expected. I mean, I could see people thinking that Corbin Burns might not stick in the rotation and have to go back to the bullpen and be a really effective reliever like he was in 2018, but no one thought that what was going to happen with with Burns was the outcome that was just completely unexpected. Yep, I agree with you there. So, Let's say, did Andy just take off on his motorcycle? <laughs> <laughs> Someone in my neighborhood did. Um, so yeah, that's what I got for the prop this year. Um, I'd like to do this again next year. So, if you guys have, we'll kind of 
bring this up again, but if you have any good props for next year, I'm all ears. Obviously, um, I'm very bad at minor leaguers such as Corey Ray getting a home run. So any help? Well, fortunately, there would be I don't think you have to worry too much about minor <laughs> leaguers for 2018 because it's looking or for 2020, mm-hmm. I should say. 2018, geez. Yeah, for 2020 because it's looking <laughs> it's looking a little bleak, especially at the yeah. top end of things at the moment. Well, who had Trent Grisham? You know, playing a meaningful game this year. It's true. Yeah. I was going to say, but to be fair, like, I don't actually think that the Corey Ray prop bet was a bad prop bet at all. I don't think anyone would have foreseen him, like, being injured all year and then being so bad that he got demoted rather than, like, coming even up in September and getting a start, like, even a pinch hit appearance somewhere. The idea that, like, somebody like Tyler Austin, who wasn't even on the team, came back and was a more meaningful contributor over the course of the year than, like, Corey Ray didn't do a single thing all year, even in AAA. I think that was a fine prop bet. It just kind of highlights the fact that like Corey Ray was kind of a volatile character in the first place. Well, but uh, and also I think if you said, okay, there's going to be a minor league outfielder who has a, an excellent season and ends up playing some meaningful games at the end of the year with b- due to some injuries, we probably would have said Corey Ray is probably that guy to begin with. Oh, yeah. More, After- than, more than what Trent Grisham, because Grisham took a step forward with his power this season that no one expected. Okay, he just say, took a step forward, expected- period. I say, if you would have told me that there was an outfielder and you asked me to like rank the likelihood of who it would have been, I would have put Troy Troy Stokes in second. Like the odds of somebody like Travis, uh, somebody like uh, like like Grisham. What did he start in Double A? Grisham so, started right? in Double A, yeah. Yeah, and so like basically saying he was going to mash his way in Double A AA to Triple A all the way to the big leagues and then get meaningful starts when he had done nothing in his minor league career to show that he was capable of that kind of statistical outburst. No, I wouldn't have guessed that whatsoever. I might've even like decided that Tyrone Taylor was like somebody that might've done it too. I was going to say, I would have almost probably given what we heard about Tyrone Taylor coming into the year. I would have probably put Tyrone Taylor ahead of Grisham too. Grisham was effectively off of basically everybody's top 30 lists. Or if he was still there, it was like straggling at the end. So I said, I don't think he should have been off top 30 list. I think I think he would have been outside the top 15. But You have to remember how deep Ryan thinks the system goes okay, for the Brewers. Like, <laughs> I'm just glad I got him to talk about Corey Ray today. That was my main goal. <laughs> <laughs> Trent Grisham wouldn't have been head of guys like, you know, Carlos Rodriguez down in A-ball. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we got to let Andy go because he's got a, a infant still that's uh, ready to get up. Should we get a World Series? So this has been really good, and the Packers have been winning. So I'm just gonna go out on a high note right here. Yeah. Should we get go. a World Series pick from him before we go? Since we've got the field set. Yeah. Uh, Astros in five. Astros in five. There you go. All right. Here first. So that's the that's the the single question prop bet we got going for the end of the season here. <laughs> so yeah, Andy, thanks for coming on again. Uh, tell everybody how they can subscribe to this week in Badgers and get all the uh, Wisconsin Illinois updates that they could possibly want. Mother of God. Yeah. Uh, so you can just follow me on Twitter. It's A K Schaff S C H A A F. Uh, we do kind of a weekly prop bet thing with the Badgers when it works. Uh, Newsletter is kind of fun. If you like Wisconsin football, give me a follow. Yeah, so definitely go out and do that. And then, again, look for Andy's uh, prop bets. We'll do it probably late March again next year. Mm-hmm. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Wes. Well, 
again, we thank uh, Andy for showing up and doing the prop bets. So uh, we'll move on to some Brewer news that's been happening since the end of the season. Um, not a lot of exciting stuff so far. We've just had more Garas added to the roster. <laughs> I know that's a thing you really look forward to always. Because it's against your own personal policy of no Garas. I have a no Garas policy, and the, the Brewers are definitely going against that at the moment. There are two things they did. They they added a Guerra, which I'm not a fan of, and they what was it released Hernan Perez? They outrighted him outrighted off the forty, him. yeah, and he elected free agency. So yeah, that was all very disappointing to me. Um, I, I guess how does this fit in with some of the moves the Brewers are going to make in this offseason? Yeah, I mean, you would think, and they sort of hinted at it. Stern said in his season wrap press conference at Miller Park that there's probably going to be a lot of roster shuffle this winter. And so it's going to be interesting to see who they decide to bring back. They have a lot of decisions to make on guys like Eric Thames for 6.5 million or Chase Anderson for 8.5. Uh, you know, some, some tender non-tender decisions like Travis Shaw and I guess Orlando Arcia, though I don't, I really don't think they're going to non-tender him, but they're going to be making moves and they're going to, you know, potentially be bringing back some guys like we don't know what their status is with Jordan Lyles or Drew Pomerantz or even Yasmani Grandal. They have a bunch of choices to make and make Moustakas as well in that group. So there's there's going to be a lot of decisions that have to be made. And, you know, we'll see what they have room for and how far they decide to go with the payroll. Yeah, so. and I, we have a Patreon question from Jason Donlinger. He says, I'm still a believer in Travis Shaw. Tell me why I should or should not be. I just can't shake the fact that he had two very good seasons in 17 and 18, so why can't he get back to those heights? So, JP, I guess we'll, we'll leave this one to you because that is a big hole that they could potentially fill in free agency, but you know, if they still believe in Travis Shaw, they won't have to spend that money at least. Sure. So uh, two really quick things. Number one, uh, just to address the the Guerra situation, um, I do not expect that he will be on the 40-man on the, uh, roster by the time spring rolls around. I think they absolutely signed him now with the uh, 100% plan to be able to try to get him through uh, waivers and get him to AAA. I cannot imagine that they will be planning to have him in a big league big league role by the time spring rolls around and the sneaky uh, thing to do that is like what it's like late november right when you try to sneak guys through waivers late november early december right ahead of the rule five stuff i don't i i guess i don't necessarily know the answer to that um but i would just suspect that just like we've seen every single offseason under Stearns, that they're willing to sign a bunch of fringe relievers and then try to pass them through to triple a to see who they can get um and i suspect this is just another plan for that um, but in terms of Travis Shaw, it's, it's a really tough situation to, to be able to like create a set of reasons why he can get back to what he was in 2017 and 2018, other than, other than literally the only explanation is, um, there's no real reason why he was so bad in 2019. And there were no real reasons in terms of, you know statistical uh trends or any kind of worrying signs to say that he was going to become completely unusable by the time 2019 hit that i don't think there's any real argument to be able to say that that is who he is now other than just sometimes guys just unexplicably change and maybe you know maybe that is the case but i think i would imagine that travis shaw if they don't non-tender him if they non-tender him i think that they're probably going to have a plan for third base that they want to 
to address. But I, I would imagine that Travis Shaw probably does have an opportunity to come back. And um, just because the team just kind of wants to see what, what they've got. So, yeah, a couple things about Shaw. First off, he did put up in AAA this year, and it was, you know, granted, not a huge sample. We were talking about 174 plate appearances. He did put up a 1.023 OPS. So he didn't forget how to play baseball. Like, to JP's point that there didn't seem to be, like, any major reason that this was happening, I think it, you know, it's probably a combination of just sort of getting on himself and just getting in his own head and sort of getting in a bad way in the major league level. Uh, But there isn't, like, evidence to suggest that, like, he just forgot how to play baseball because you don't put up a one-plus OPS in AAA if you just forgot. So that does tend towards me thinking there's something good there in the future. The other thing, and the way I've been thinking about this, is Travis Shaw represents upside for them in a way that, like, say, bringing back Mike Moustakis on a contract that is maybe two or three times the average annual amount, because Travis Shaw is expected to make about $5 million in arbitration. You have to think Moustakis would be at least double that on an annual basis and probably for multiple years to bring him back. So, you know, I don't know, $13 million a year for, like, two years or something, so, like, $26 million. I don't know. But... Travis Shaw, given what he's given them in the past, would be the upside play then because you can bring him in for significantly less than what you'd be paying Mike Moustakis. And he would represent, you know, the ability to put up at least as good a numbers, if not better, when you consider that Travis Shaw is the better defender between the two. They're they're both fine, but Shaw's a little bit better uh, historically. And that was also borne out this last year as well. And the fact that Travis Shaw will take walks in a way that Mike Moustakas has never done. So when Travis Shaw is going, he will give you power and he will give you walks and you know, a reasonable batting average. Mike Moustakas is, is pretty much just you know power and eh, a reasonable batting average, but nothing spectacular. So, so two, two really quick points on that. Number one, I think it's important to remember when you're talking about AAA, you're talking about AAA not only in an extreme offensive environment in the PCL, but you're talking about juice ball. I mean... Corey Spangenberg hit like 310 with like a 500 slugging percentage. And so those numbers are tough to be able to parse. I get what you're saying in terms of like he just didn't forget how to play baseball. But AAA is a really difficult argument for me to be able to see why he's going to be able to go forward. But the the other thing, and I don't necessarily know what your y'all's thought about it is, is I... I 100% understand your argument uh, behind Travis Shaw being the upside play. I think that that's 100% right. Um, I would argue that the Brewers are in a place in which they actually don't want to be like going with an upside play. They want to actually be going with the person that they understand can actually bring value because they are trying to compete. Like they're not they're not a team like the Reds in which you're trying to compile as many upside plays as you can. So if things break right, you can go. They're trying to actually be in a situation in which they can capitalize on uh, Yelich. They can capitalize on Kane. Like you've got somebody like Braun who probably, you know, has like half a year. He's not going to be able to play a full year, but he's still, you know, productive enough. You've still got a lot of guys across the board in which your time to compete is now. Your time to compete isn't, you know, if things break right. Well, I would say, though, that in the NL Central, as it is constructed right now, with the Cubs and Cardinals both being legitimately very good teams and the NL as a whole, where there's a lot of good teams, right? You have a lot of good teams in the national league. And so the competition for even the wild card is going to be very stiff. I think that 
there's a, a call for upside plays at certain spots in the roster, especially if you are going to do something like trying to bring Yasmani Grandal back to be more of what you're talking about, which is a very solid Yasmani Grandal has been a very good player for the last four years. And so that would be a, a spot where you could do that. If you're going to do that, if you're going to make that decision and say, we're going to give Yasmani Grandal the market value and really pay him for what he is, you're going to have to cut some corners or make some some bargains in other spots. Right, and Travis that, Shaw would then up represent at least an upside play in that spot. Sure. But in that kind of conception. Yeah, but that's a different argument than saying that he's good just because he's an upside play, right? Like, the the argument is, is if you're going to spend elsewhere, you're going to have to find guys who could potentially be above average contributors at a at a cut rate price elsewhere because you can't necessarily go and pay the market price everywhere across the board. And that but the, getting into, like, where we're going to get in the next few weeks when we look at going forward, that would be my, my cases. I would spend – I would not spend on a Moustakis for – the guaranteed idea of like what he's been i would spend on somebody like grandall at catcher and then take a, a risk at third base with travis shaw the the problem i have with what you're talking about though is the fact that the brewers necessarily shouldn't try to be able to create as a competitive team as they can because there are other good Right. You're talking about the fact that the, the Cubs and the Cardinals are going to be legitimately very good teams. You're talking about the fact that there's going to be so many good teams in the NL. And so the argument that I hear you making is they need to make sure they don't push in too much because there's not a guarantee that they're going to be able to be better than the other teams. Around. I mean, is that even true? Because all the talk for the Cubs are they need to reevaluate what they have going on and they have some holes in the roster. So they aren't as strong as they thought they were. They're going to be getting a new manager next season. Um yeah, but that hold on, that wasn't and really what I was that I, I misexplained well, that. Hold on, but part of your argument was that the the Cubs and Cardinals are strong, therefore don't try to make too much of a push when that you wasn't know, what I was saying. That's that's not what I mean. I'm saying that the bar it is the it is bar. exactly what you mean. <laughs> I mean the bar to compete is going to be high, so that you need to look at winning something in the 90s. Because winning 89 games like they did again this year is less likely to get you over that threshold. So you're, the bar is high in enough. In the division that, like, or in the NL? Because in in the division, I don't know. Do you see the Cardinals being markedly better next season? Do you see the Cubs being markedly better next season? The Cubs got a situation in which their pitching staff is going to only get worse, and they don't have internal reinforcements. They've got they've the Cubs have some absolute issues, but the entire argument is that because there are going to be so many good teams and competitive teams in the NL, that you have to be able to push to ninety wins. I'm not sure that's true. It's going to be a situation again in which everyone just beats the living crap out of each other. Yeah, that could be true too, because you have fewer and fewer bad teams in the NL and more good teams with. I'm assuming teams like San Diego taking steps forward. So, yeah, that that could very well be true. I don't know. I think that, and maybe this is putting too much stock into what the competitive atmosphere looked like in 2019, and maybe that won't replicate in 2020. I do think that they're going to have to pick some spots on the roster to be to try upside plays, and maybe that means getting multiple guys. You know, you probably don't bring like a Travis Shaw back without having a backup plan. You, you have something at least in mind behind him, even if it's like, you know, a minor league free agent or something um, or not a minor league free agent, a, a, a minor league uh, camp guy. Travis Shaw feels like the backup plan. Well, but his track record is so good that 
if he if he returns to 2017 2018 form you've got a above well above average starter at third base i would say that uh there there are two things here number one um i have zero issue saying that you'd rather than plow money in elsewhere and they're going to have to make upside plays elsewhere i think that's 100 percent true they're not going to be able to buy market rate and and much more, they're not going to have the ability, I think, to go and make a bunch of trades to be able to address all all phases in which they need to address. I think they're going to have to make choices and there are going to be preferences in where you pay and where you don't pay. I don't have any issue saying that you want them to pay elsewhere. And so Travis Shaw represents a cheaper market option. That's fine. Um, but I do think that when you look at somebody like Jordan Lyles, when you look at somebody like Travis Shaw, when you look at all of these things... And I think that you can go back to Wade Miley. You can go back to a lot of guys who have had success with the Brewers before. We can get into a spot in which we want to be able to hang on to people that we've seen perform well with the Brewers because um, we remember those things and we want those things to be true again. When, Like Travis Shaw, I think, is 100% a crapshoot. And I think pretending like there is any other... He is essentially what Freddie Peralta is on any start that you bring him into in any given day. Like he could be he could be really good. And I don't think there's really really rhyme or reason for it. And maybe this is who he is now. But I don't think there's a real rhyme or reason for that. I don't. But the Brewers, if they do decide to go with Travis Shaw at third base, I think they're going to need more than a camp guy. They're probably going to need a utility infielder that Aaron Perez was, but like a better version of Aaron Perez to be somebody that can actually handle third base if needed. Yeah, and I think that might be in the plans anyway, regardless. Like they need to replace that spot with somebody, given how much they play the person in that position, that they should probably look to upgrade it anyway. So it's, well, it's a good and, point. I think that. Uh, well, that whole side of the infield is going to be in flux. Well, right. And the fact that yeah. they're actually 26 man on the roster now, you can actually make sure that you get multiple infielders. That is true, especially if they limit and say that you're only allowed to carry 13 pitchers, which that's going to be a really interesting decision to see because they're about to start putting limits on that, or at least yeah. that was the talk. So, But regardless, the Brewers have been able to create a bullpen situation where they've got so many guys that can go multiple innings. I, don't, I think cr- carrying 14 pitchers would be a waste of roster space. I mean, it. they've used it to great effect in September the last few years to be able to carry more extra pitchers. I think that Craig Council would figure out ways to get those guys... I think useful situations. So I you have to be careful with that, because if you actually look at what they did in September this year, they did not use 14 pitchers a bunch. They used about 11 or 12 pitchers a lot, and they allowed themselves to be able to rotate through them a lot because they all went multiple innings. They were not using their fringe guys in really high leverage spots. They were going when there were blowouts, they'd be like or if there was a non high leverage situation, they'd be like, sure, go ahead and go in for a couple of innings. We're going to try to get by as much as we can. But they didn't go to it's not like they were using a lot of guys in really high leverage spots and they were mixing and matching and moving around. I don't know. We saw a lot of Jackson Black. Man, we uh, got to the, like end, that we got to the end of the season. We also saw a lot of like Nelson and Burdens piggybacking each other when games were just out of hand. In the, the rare blowouts that happened, yeah. But well, I don't part, think those blowouts were as rare as you think, because basically that's how they would lose games. Yeah, and they hardly lost any games in September. They did so. hardly lose games in September, but when they did lose, they decided to you know go big on that, and that's why we have a, uh, a Pythag that was so close to five hundred. Right, then it's true. But if you look, they only there were only uh, I guess there were fourteen pitchers exactly, but 
you've got a couple injury situations in there that I think is a little bit fungible, but you only had 14 pitchers in September that actually pitched more than five innings. Like you had a lot of guys that they were willing to be able to just put in for like crap times. But if you look at who they used in high leverage situations in which they wanted to be able to actually go at teams and they wanted to build build a uh, a roster around, they were using about 12 to 13 pitchers a lot. And the fact that they they completely cycle through AAA a bunch, I don't think there's any real reason that they need to carry that 14th pitcher rather than have that 14th pitcher in AAA that they can cycle up around when they need to. Yeah, that may well turn out to be the case. Yeah, and I mean they'll still be able to cycle guys through. They have the one extra spot that they can carry, and then you know if guys have to stay in AAA a little longer. Yeah, because that is going to be a thing now. They're going back to the. Uh, after you're demoted, you have to be down 15 days instead of 10. But when you got the extra spot, I mean, it'll probably balance itself out in some way. I think they'll still be able to manage roughly what I mean, they had been doing. You have you have to be down for 15 days barring injury. And and sometimes uh, brewers have been very uh, willing to suggest that maybe somebody has a sore back or a little bit of shoulder fatigue. or something. So like we that. should, too, point out that the injury thing, you're not allowed to bring guys back because we're going back to a 15-day IL instead of a 10-day. So guys who end up injured have to be down that extra five days as well. So it makes well, all that roster shuffling just a little bit more complicated. Well, I don't know. We but, complained that the Brewers didn't put guys on the DL or the IL quick enough. It, I don't know if the 15 is going to matter that much. Yeah. Well, and especially like if you look at off days, it's basically an extra like what, three or four games? Yeah, that's true. The way it works out, depending on the time of the season. So. Um, we do have other news. Josh Hader is a super two. And I know there was some hand wringing about that because he's going to get paid this season as opposed to waiting until next year. I mean, so the deal is because of the way that uh, this works, it's the top like 20 something percent, like 22 percent maybe uh, of guys who have the most time in two plus years get to become super two, which means that you get to become a free agent. Uh, or I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with free agency. It means you get to become an arbitration eligible player for four years instead of just three. And so Josh Hader is going to get to go through arbitration four times instead of three times. And the initial which bump, is great because it means he gets to hear the team talk about how he's not great four times. If they three. actually go to uh, a thing, I think there's a good chance he'll sign a contract ahead of that potentially a multi-year contract just to like buy out those arbitration years or even just some of them like we saw with Prince Fielder. So it's not a huge it's not a huge deal other than so MLB trade rumors projects him to get 4.6 million. He was in line to make with the Brewers this year about 600,000. So this adds 4 million dollars to their payroll that they were potentially going to spend elsewhere. Uh so does this make it harder for them to bring back a Drew Pomerantz, a Jordan Lyles? Potentially it does. Or JP, should we blame Corey Knebel for getting injured because now he has uh, uh, Josh Hader has the saves on his st- uh, on his line statistically to go get paid in arbitration? I'm not. I I think that uh, there's a pretty good case to be made that arbitration is not necessarily working with those incentives. But if you want to, that's fine. And and to be fair, I. The saves probably do matter a little bit, but I, I think saves I, actually play real heavy in arbitration. Well, jokingly, well, they, they, arbitration tends you, to use an evaluation system that is quite antiquated, yeah. and that's okay, how they say, can suppress salary for guys. Well, it's because it's based on precedent. So yeah, no, yeah. 
They they used to, but there are more and more relievers going out and pitching multiple innings that are being held out of a closer role to be able to go and, and maximize their contract. When you're talking about guys like and then you're looking at uh, actual big league contracts. You're looking at uh, Adam Adovino. You're looking at uh, Andrew Miller. You're looking at guys who are actively actively getting almost $10 million a year to come nowhere close to a closer's role. Um, I suspect that he still would get paid. If that means that he would have gotten paid like $3 million versus $4 million, I'm not sure that's much of a difference. But um, I saves do matter a little bit. I just don't think that that's the only thing. It's not like he'd get paid a $1 million if he didn't have any closing. Uh, experience but I don't do you really think that like an extra two or three million is going to be the difference between what they can do in the offseason and what they can't do in the offseason um well okay so in this case MLB trade rumors is projecting for 4.6 so it's an extra four million and I think that that seems like the kind of money that Jordan Lyles or Drew Pomerantz might get and so yeah, that uh, might... season, but I mean, if you want to sign those guys to multi-season deals anyways, you're probably planning on Hater getting that in 2021. Right. And so, I and mean, you're, you're talking about in one season, they'll have to pay an extra and, $4 and million. If we, and if we just said, like, sure, then put your playoff revenue right to that. Done. Well, and yeah, if you wanted to say, if, if David Stearns has the juice to say to Mark Atanasio, hey, uh, so this happened and it wasn't expected and... Uh, because do you think really, it wasn't expected? Do you think they weren't paying close attention to that? I think they probably had a good idea of it during the season this year, but two years ago, no, they had no idea. The number, <laughs> hold on, okay, the number for how many days you had to have in to become a super two is much lower than it's ever been. So this is the earliest it's ever been, and it's by a, a fair margin. So they probably knew this year, but it's not like they were going to send Josh Hader down to try to not make him a super two like they they weren't going to do that they also wouldn't have been worried about four million dollars in 2020 two years ago and but i think when when he was called up initially when this decision was originally made they looked at it as oh yeah this is probably safe it's he's probably okay to be called up like but and this is maybe really reductionist but if like their ability to sign an actual like big leaguer that they need to be able to bring into the system is all dependent upon whether or not Josh Hader was a super two because it's like four million dollars difference. Like they should just close up shop. Well, but like teams have budgets. We maybe don't think they you, should they have budgets. Have, they do have budgets, but there's two really important things. Number one, they showed this year that their budget is not necessarily firm. The other thing, too, is just because they have a budget doesn't mean that's what they can spend, what they're willing to spend. And saying that just because it's what they're willing to spend doesn't mean they can't spend more is a disingenuous argument. No, and there there is definitely wiggle room in how the Brewers do things. And so maybe they are able to just say, hey, look, this was $4 million we weren't really expecting to have to spend, and now we are, so let's not count that. I don't know. I mean... I think you're getting way too into the weeds on this. You know, I, I think they figured they were bringing a kid up to be a relief pitcher. They didn't think he'd be anything more than a relief pitcher. And the fact that he turned out to be an elite reliever. No, that's fine. I'm talking paid about the $4 million. Did that severely impact their ability to go out and sign guys? I don't know. But, you know, you have two playoff appearances uh, in a row. So they have to be sitting on some extra cash that it has worked out it is at worst offset what the difference is going to be and they did increase their payroll by like almost 30 million from opening day 2018 to opening day 2019 
And I think that so they went from like. Do we really worry about the Brewers like crying poor anymore? No, I mean, but there's still going to be a budget, and the question is, are they going to? Every team has a budget. The Brewers are not the only team with the budget. I know, and I'm saying that, but we don't know if they're going to say for this year, going into 2019, I think they're going to be around 130 million. Sorry, going into 2020, I think they're going to be around 130 million. They were at 120 last year. And I think that's about where it is. This definitely impacts that because I think that you, it's $4 million that you weren't going to be spending that you now are spending. And obviously you're spending it. And you're, I, I want to make sure to be clear about this. Hater deserves this money. And it, he, he should have been paid because he's been grossly underpaid for as good as he's been. He deserves this money. There's no question about that. It's just, it's just that this really does matter in terms of the team has a budget and like they're going to stick within roughly the framework of that budget. But JP, do you how think things shake out? JP, do you think they are considering or maybe have been working out uh, some kind of long-term deal with Hater because he's a pretty valuable asset to the team right now, and I'm sure they'd like cost certainty with a guy who. Even obviously he had arbitration a year earlier than expected, but they were going to want cost certainty going forward from that point anyways. Uh, I think maybe they'll do a one or two. I don't think it's going to be a long term deal if they do it. I'd be surprised if they move if if they do a long term deal with a relief pitcher. Um, I mean, maybe for cost certainty, I could see them doing it, but they're going to have to work in uh, some pretty big increases. I think they could also have an argument in the back of their mind that they plan on moving him out of the closers role. Which, if if the arbitration system is still working with saves, moving people back into the the closer's role and then moving Hater into more of a swingman role can actually impact those numbers going forward. So I think there's a, a, a few things to do there that I'm not 100% sure what they do. I do think they do want cost certainty. I think that's 100% true. We've seen this even with like Jonathan VR that they're willing to go in and, and work with contract extensions for guys. Um, but at the same time, I do just want to be, be super clear about what I'm trying to to articulate in terms of the budget. Just because these are the, I I 100% understand that Ryan is saying they have a budget and they're going to work within that budget. Every single team has a budget. But just allowing yourself to work within a logical constraints about what they are going to do or what they, they themselves are setting as the terms of what they're going to do doesn't mean they can't do more. They choose not to do more. And that is an important distinction to make. And that when you're talking about what, they could do or what they could what they couldn't do allowing themselves to ter- to determine what the terms of the, the debate are allow uh, inhibits any forward movement to when you're talking about the fact that the percentage of revenues in baseball that are going to players is going down every single year and has been going down for about 15 years the fact that they don't have the capacity to be able to to distribute more money to players when TV revenues are going up and technology revenues are going up and all of the other kind of revenues that they're t- talking about their commercial business is going up and the fact that they're talking about being able to constrain how much money they're being able to pay to, to minor leaguers with the news this past week, they absolutely have the ability to spend more. And that's not even including what like inflation does to this. Yeah. And so, so I guess I, yeah. every team in baseball has the ability to spend more. That's absolutely true. Every team, I, every single one is not spending as much it, as they could. Yes. And so allowing them to just be able to dictate what those terms are and to say that we have to work within those when we're talking about the team as well. And it's hard because, no, they can't spend an unlimited amount. I'm not saying that they can go out and spend two hundred and fifty million dollars just, you know, because. But 
saying that they can't do something because of like four million dollars, they absolutely can. No, it, it all comes down okay, to Ryan, what I they're guess, going to do as opposed to what they can do. I guess how much more will I have to spend on beer at the stadium to supplement Josh Hader's uh, salary increase? Well, I mean, gonna, you're already going to that craft beer stand, so like, do you think? Do you think if we go to the craft beer stand that we're we're doing more to help the team than if we just get regular? Miller Lite or whatever is at the the other locations. They're going to have to get rid of dollar dog days. Yeah. They're going to have to be $2 dog days. Those kids are going to have to like pay a couple bucks to go run the bases at the end of the game on Sunday. Yeah, but I mean, in answer to your original question, I think $20 sounds about right. So (laughs) That's not far off of some of those beers anyways. (laughs) I think if they did that, most people would be like, I didn't notice much of a difference. If they stopped at 19, they'd be able to get away with it. 1999. Wasn't there like a Twitter poll saying that like if everybody could throw in like three or four bucks to go and get Mike Mustakis, would you do it? And and everyone was like, "That's not how it's not how this works. <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not how any of this works." Yeah. So, okay, we do have our World Series matchup set. It is the Washington Nationals versus the Houston Astros. Mm-hmm. Are we excited about that? Yeah, I mean, I think they're two very interesting teams, and they offer some some cool contrast. You have the the three top flight starters for the Nationals, and you know, obviously, like three top flight starters for the uh, uh, for the Astros as well. The offenses are, I think, you know, the the Nationals' offense is good. The Astros' offense is better, so you would definitely expect that. And then when you get into the bullpens, the Nationals' bullpen has been really bad in the second half, though. They've limited it to only pitching their best relievers in the postseason, and that's worked out relatively okay for them. As long as you get long starts, that works. As long as you get long starts and you can kind of work the rest of it around. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is kind of, you know, this is like what we wanted with the Nationals for all this time. I guess Bryce Harper isn't there, so that, you know, isn't what you were kind of thinking. JP, I guess shutting down Steven Strasburg in 2012 uh, worked. (laughs) It paid off, so <laughs> I guess. What, what What's your take on the, this World Series? Because it is, I mean, the Astros have won a World Series recently, so it's not like a total unknown just popped in there. But it is a little bit more of an unusual matchup than we tend to get in the World Series. It is. I, For my money, I'd like to see um, the Nationals win the World Series. I'd like to see them win the World Series just because... Um, I'd like to see guys like Strasburg. I'd like to see guys like like Scherzer be able to take it home. Um, the internet troll in me thinks that the Bryce Harper discussion would be funny. Um, and then I also think one of the big things for me is the Nationals, I don't think this year are as good as they've been in years past when they didn't get to the World Series and didn't win. And there was a lot of criticism. Of, you know, a lot of managers have been fired in Washington in terms of kind of like paying for the fact that they didn't fulfill expectations or anything like that. And I think that the Nationals winning the World Series this year, I think would be uh, a kind of kind of a, I guess, show the, 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 the fickleness of the playoffs, right? It's being able to, to go in and be able to say that, even if you don't, if you if you stay the course and you continue to continue to make yourself competitive over a long period of time, you can even barely get your way through the wild card game and still be able to plow your way to a World Series championship. And I think that uh, can 
maybe encourage more people to go for the wild card rather than treating the wild card as something that you don't want to get into in the first place. Um, I think it can also get you into a situation in which more and more teams can recognize like give yourself a shot at the postseason and go again and again and again. And you don't have to think about this as a, like if you don't make the playoff or if you don't make the World Series when you're a good team, it's an automatic failure because all you can do is continue to give yourself as many shots as possible. And I'd like to see the Nationals come through it. Yeah, I think the, the Nationals are an interesting case because it seemed like that was a team that was built to win divisions for multiple seasons and, you know. What they have for a decade, close I mean, to. They've and they've and been in being, there often, but also not quite as often as you maybe would have. No, thought. they. I'm saying they were. They seemed built to do that, and then yes, baseball reality set in, and they didn't do that consistently. I think the way people um, expected, and there was a little bit of disappointment in the way that that team performed. So it is interesting that you know they get to this point where it is a, a wild card berth and making a run that is actually what's putting it together for them when i think we kind of expected this postseason performance for them at least in in a few seasons um combined during this run yeah and i think it's also i it, you know as brewers fans it's it's tough to see the team that basically got through on the eighth inning when like the Brewers had everything in front of them and had everything play out in that wild card game exactly like they wanted. And then to see kind of this fluke eighth inning happen and see that parlay into an entire postseason. Well, run. but I mean, the, the issue with that is I think the Brewers were set up to win one game. And oh, yeah. when you start saying, OK, now now you got to win a five game and a seven game series. hundred percent. You know, no, but, the Brewers, the Brewers probably do not beat the Dodgers. The Dodgers would have been yeah. hefty, hefty favorites in a way yeah. that the Nationals were because of the the virtue of having, you know, three really good stud starters and really a fourth too. when you count Annabelle Sanchez had a very good year. Like they had but it, some some depth and some distance there to be able to compete in a way the Brewers maybe didn't. But it is tough to be able to say like, you know, the, the what could have been argument. Right. Or is it like the NCAA basketball tournament where like if you get beat, if you get beaten, you want the team to beat you to go and win the entire thing. So like it makes you feel better about it. No, I mean, I <laughs> I have no particular I no, animosity. No, I, I don't have animosity towards the Nationals, but I don't sit there and like cheer for them because it somehow means by the what transitive property that the Brewers were good enough to win the World Series. I think that's exactly how math works. <laughs> I think I'm, you know, I guess I'll probably be rooting for the Nationals to win this because the Astros have already won their World Series and the Astros are kind of there's like some soullessness to that whole operation a little bit, you know, the Roberto Osuna decision and all those sorts of things like that's every team. Yeah. Well, they're kind of worse than many others, but there's, there's some of that going on with them. And I don't, I definitely don't like hate the Astros, but I think that the nationals are the team I would rather see win in this case. And to be honest, like as much as, you know, like we get a bunch of like sap, sappy stories all throughout every postseason in which there's a kind of a through line where people find a narrative they want and, and things to go on. But like, I'd love to see Ryan. I'd love to see Ryan Zimmerman win a World Series. Like, that'd be great. He was there for so long. He was productive for so long to be able to come back. He was an excellent player early in his Ab career. Absolutely. Like probably and underrated. And like, I'd be happy for Michael Brantley to win a World Series with Houston because he doesn't have his yet. So that would be cool. But like, yeah. Zimmerman, Strasburg, Scherzer, yeah, but, none of those guys have World Series yet. So, but, but you think for for me, there's something about somebody that is with a team for so long to finally like be able to see that, especially when you're going out. That'd be a really cool way to end it. Yeah. So we do have a question from Chris Con Conager. 
Kroninger, I think. Kroninger? Okay. Uh, He asks, can the Brewers realistically ever win a World Series in my lifetime? Which I think is what every Brewers fan wonders because whenever it gets close, it's going to be soul-crushing is what it feels like. But, you know, okay, here's the other thing about that, I will say. Whenever you're in the playoffs, it's always going to be soul-crushing if you don't win the World Series. Yeah. That's I mean, pretty much But, I mean, that's kind of the deal. There like, are some times when it's more soul-crushing than others. Sure. I mean, you can get just run out of the World Series or run out of the playoffs, and then it's it's not even a contest. But still, to get to that point, there's a certain amount of hope when you're one of – how many teams is it? Ten? Sure. Ten. And when you get down to the last four, like the Brewers did in 2018 or 2011? Yeah. It gets tough to watch that. Yeah. Um, I mean, my short answer to this is if the Kansas City Royals can win a World Series, the Milwaukee Brewers can win a World Series. So, yes, like they can win a World Series. Will they? Um, baseball is not an it's not as stacked a deck as people think, I think. But it is something of a stacked deck where there are major advantages to being in big media markets where you can drive revenues and carry payrolls that are very high in, you know, a a financially unbalanced league, there are advantages to being in those bigger markets. So, but can they, can they put it together and have it work for them for, you know, a a season and and make a run in the playoffs? Absolutely. Like the Royals were not a particularly well-run team. They did put together one of the best farm systems we've ever seen, but they managed it somewhat poorly. And then when it all came together for them, they were definitely fortunate to have it all work for them in that last, space. Last season seemed like if the Brewers had a chance, that was the kind of season it was going to happen in, where you had Yelich turn into you know an Uber type superstar. Um, you were getting that you know bullpen performance that you needed. They were just on a run mm-hmm. because in in two thousand eight and I think even two thousand eleven, it didn't feel like the best Brewers team of the season was going into the playoffs. No, well, especially in 2019, like that was not the well, best. not this season, obviously, but it, last season, I think it very much felt like this is the team playing at its best. So, JP, I mean, are you hopeful that the Brewers can win a World Series? Or are you a little bit more pragmatic? Like, yeah, it can happen, but I'm not placing my money on it anytime soon. Oh no, I think it can absolutely happen. I, I would, I would say maybe it depends on how old Chris is. Um, but uh, <laughs> wow. But we- well, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think if you want to look at what the Brewers can do in terms of a World Series, I think, yeah, they absolutely can. I When it's going to be, I have no idea. Um, right? I mean, it's going to take what every single World Series runs ta- run takes. It's going to take a little bit of luck. It's going to take some uh, really kind of un- unexpected breakouts over the course of an entire year, just like Steve's talking about with Yelich. Um because they're not going to have the structural advantages that that end up going, but we've seen we've seen plenty of World Series champions that kind of have to go with the same kind of structural impediments that the that the Brewers have. Um, and you know what? I don't. I think it, I think we get into a little bit of a kind of a, a thing at once in which we kind of talk about how the Brewers are one of the more beleaguered uh, franchises in, in Major League Baseball, and and. I mean, if you want to look at what since 2000, 2007, to, certainly since 2008, but since 2007, aside from a couple of years, the Brewers have been in the conversation in terms of like a team that you actually have to reckon with in terms of po- postseason or the NL Central more generally almost every single year, aside from maybe what, 
three, maybe four exceptions. Yeah, I mean, they definitely were out of it in 16, 17. Well, no, I mean, 17, they were playing late. They were playing. They, they came on late, but I think baseball. going into 17, most people weren't expecting much. But yeah, they really wasn't. Because well, going into 15, it seemed like the, the wheels had maybe fallen off, but you weren't 100% sure. And 15 turned out to be their, their low point. Like, they bottomed out in 2015 and then went on an upswing. As we, did, we, we talked about, they did not have... They did not go through a long, low period that some of the other teams have to basically rebuild. No, they didn't Astros or Cubs it. They or Nationals. You know, the Nationals went through that in the late aughts. Sure. So, but I, which is how they got Strasburg and uh, Harper to begin with. Yeah, and I think that you have gotten into a baseball environment in which there are very, very few teams that are incompetent. Um, that every that almost every single baseball organization across the entire major uh, in, in the entire major league baseball uh, spectrum is working with quality professionals from analytics to their to the GM to you know to whomever and yes there are still going to be gradations between you know w- whatever but like everybody is God so bless the Reds and the Pirates but everybody is got I still I actually still think that the Reds are going to be I think that's not the time for this but I think the the Reds are still. Uh, going to be okay ryan um, likes to think jim bowden's still the general manager for the red <laughs> the reds are uh, the reds are bad really but dumb. you've got a situation in which every single team is working with uh, so much more um knowledge and strategy than they were years and years ago and so i don't think that there are going to be situations in which you see a single team just be terrible for 20 years because they're just incompetently run or their ownership sucks um and they're and the ownership is not willing to put money into it because I think that that's not the game anymore. That's fair because both the Reds and Pirates, as much as I want to rip on them, and yes, I do think they're poorly run, but both have made multiple playoff appearances in the last ten years. So I say those poorly run teams are not as poorly run as what terrible teams used to be. No, they're not the Clark Griffin Griffith uh, uh, Washington teams of days. Your the the Cleveland uh, not the Cleveland Browns the. Uh, the St. Louis Browns. Some of those teams were, I mean, go back and look at those records. They were truly awfully run franchises. Sure. Yeah. But the, I would say, like, even if you just look at to what the Brewers were in, in the 90s and early 2000s, like, there's not a situation in which I don't think there's any team that's going to be like that. Yeah. It's, it's a different game now. I think everybody is more on a level analytical playing field. Yeah. Absolutely. They're, they're just, I don't know, so sterilely run. <laughs> is that a way to yep. You know that yeah. that I I think everybody there there's a baseline that they'll be able to yeah. kind of maintain. Well, saying, there I'm, are times when I feel like it's like baseball writers get mad at teams for not doing the stupid things they used to do because it doesn't give them interesting things to talk about and to laugh at the the bad teams. So sometimes I feel like the baseball writers, people that you know make a living off of doing like transaction analysis and all well, that stuff. Well, you know, I I pointed out some other friends. Um, that basically all major sports now are a lot more boring in a full season aspect because so many teams are just well run and they know how to put yeah. together teams to minimize you know your variance as far as how well your team's going to perform you know whether you're watching basketball even the NFL starting starting yeah. to get to that point you know I'm like all sports during the regular season for the most part are a lot more boring to watch now because teams aren't just as stupid and willing to just leave things up to chance the way they used to be. Well, and it's some, 
actually working on right now at, at I'll have an article coming out uh, baseball prospectus hopefully next week um, talking about the talking about that exact thing not necessarily about it being boring but why teams are better run how it fits within uh, the current baseball economy how it works within kind of a more of a longer term history of capitalism in terms of how like corporations are run um, and being able to make the argument to say that like teams being run as better businesses and professionalizing is absolutely one of the things that's that's being talked about and it and when you're talking about teams being more boring or you're talking about it being more sterile or you're talking about lessening variation it's a hundred percent an organization that is built to make profit being able to make better decisions because they've got more information and they're better run it's funny because i want my team to run that way but i want everybody else to go back to the old way where it's entertaining hey we do have the advantage of having the reds and the pirates in our division so it, it if you want to keep nice. leaning on that but again they are not that terrible of organizations they aren't at that level and they're I know not you the like, reds and pirates of 2002 that's for sure yeah so um anyways uh that's gonna do it for this week we do have a new patron who if we wouldn't have taken a week off we would have thanked last week so jp you want to take that absolutely a huge well and i'm going to guess on how the name is pronounced so ted forgive me but it's i believe it's ted korth uh if it's more of a german pronunciation it's going to be ted kurth so either way ted give you a huge shout out for becoming a patron we hope you enjoy it brian and i are going to be coming out with our uh, minor league extra coming out but if you're subscribing for the for the packers podcast that's great uh, uh paul and the boys do really great work for that so we hope you enjoy kind of what's going on and we hope you enjoy what the packers are doing to the raiders right now for sure yeah it's definitely fun to watch and again you know some podcasts they just mentioned andy schaff we actually have Andy Schaff on the podcast. That's true. I don't think they've had Andy Schaff on that podcast yet. No, every week he comes up. Yeah, but, but he gets we, a mention. We have him here. So uh, just remember that it, not just mentions of Andy Schaff. We actually have Andy Schaff on this podcast. But go uh, subscribe to Reporting as Eligible. Catch what uh, Paul, uh, JR, and Matub have to say about the Packers every week. And then Paul's got his uh, Packer preview, which is... Uh, pretty good listen every week it's just him solo for about 15 to 20 minutes giving you the lowdown on how the game is going to shake out and uh it's pretty accurate so check that out remember you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mke tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level and above receive the monthly minor league pod minor league extra podcast as well uh follow us on twitter at mke tailgate and submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or you can follow us through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever else you uh, listen to your podcasts. Uh, leave reviews. Please do this. Leave reviews. It helps people find the podcast, and we really appreciate it. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.
I've got 